Well, be great to keep your Bibles open to Isaiah chapter 11 as we continue in our Isaiah series. But first, let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of your word to us. We pray that your spirit would be at work in our hearts and minds, that we would understand all that's before us and delight in your promises and future hope given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We come to a point in Israel's history where everything seems pretty hopeless. Enemies surround Israel. They're waiting to dominate, capture and destroy them. But the situation in Israel isn't much better. They too have been wicked, full of pride, and they won't be spared from God's judgment. God promises to cut down both the enemy and Israel. In the face of this coming devastation, the obvious question is to ask, what is God doing? Will God keep his promise to his people or will he fail? What does hope look like when surrounded by judgment? And as we stand amongst the devastation with these questions, Isaiah stops us and points us to the most unlikely place for eternal hope to spring. He points us to a stump. Now, if you have spent the day cutting down a tree, the remaining stump can just be a nuisance, something to grind out. But the stump here points to potential. From the stump will be a shoot of hope. As we've seen earlier in chapter 4, the branch will be a people, but now it focuses in on a king. From the family line of Jesse, another David. And this wasn't just to be another king with a different public policy, but God's king, completely distinct from any other king. And we've already been introduced to this king, who will be the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And in chapter 11, we now get a greater understanding of the character of the king, the peace of his reign and the people of his kingdom. First, Isaiah introduces us to the character of the king. So from verse 1, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Israel has had a few kings, but none look like this. If you have spent any time reading Kings or Chronicles, you'll be introduced to a long line of Israel's disastrous and sometimes repentant kings. They were anointed, set apart to lead, a type of Messiah, which just means anointed one. But they didn't live up to the Messiah, the king, that Israel needed. 
And we might have spaces in our lives where we long for that perfect leader to step in, to fix the issues and lead us into a better direction. But the leader, the king we are introduced to here, is unlike any other, for he will be from God, equipped by God, and act for God. The king is distinctive, for his origin is from God. This king will be another David from the stump of Jesse. Across the history of Israel, David was the standard for kingship. Jesse is David's father, so God's king is not just next in line, but from the same source. And later in verse 10, we see that this king is also the root of Jesse, giving us a hint to his divine nature, that he can come both before and after Jesse, both as the stump and the root. The mention of another David is a sign of hope. The kings of Israel have mostly been arrogant and wicked, leading their people astray. And as the kings moved further and further away from God, there was a doubt that God might have abandoned his promise made to David for his line of descendants to reign forever. But another David means that God has not forsaken his people. Another David means God's love remains with them. And this coming king means God is with them and they have a future to look forward to. And this king is distinctive for he is equipped by God. The spirit of the Lord rests on him. We need to remember here that the king's job description was pretty massive, leading the military, the government, and the justice courts. So for the daunting task of ruling, the king is equipped with everything he needs. With the spirit of wisdom and understanding, he has perfect judgment. With the spirit of counsel and of might, he has strategy and power. And with the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, he knows and loves God. Beyond any human king, God's Messiah has the ruling, practical and spiritual qualities that are needed for the task. And this king is distinctive, for he acts for God. From verse 3, He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breadth of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. Justice and righteousness are divine attributes that characterize the king's actions. This stands in stark contrast to the current leaders of Israel. With righteousness, he will judge the needy when the leaders have deprived the poor of rights. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor when the leaders have withheld justice. Today, we often hold leaders to a high ethical standard and expect that they should be focusing on unwinding injustice, 
creating opportunities for the marginalised and the oppressed. And these are good things to aim for. But no matter how good their intentions are, or what resources or crowd support they assemble, no human leader can bear the weight of our ultimate hope for justice. Human leaders will fail us, they're imperfect and flawed, and they just don't have the capacity to right every wrong. We should still expect a lot from leaders, but they can't possibly bear be our ultimate hope for justice. But the coming king can. Appearances won't deceive him, complex situations won't confound him. He will know how to weigh up justice, what action is required, and has all the authority and power of the Spirit of the Lord to act. By the breadth of his lips, not an army, but by the power of his word, he will bring justice. With warfare and terror raging in parts of our world, in the silent crimes and abuses, in our lives, in the lives of those we love, how we long for justice to come. As we look to the stump, we can have confidence that the coming king will not prolong or ignore injustice, for all his actions are defined by righteousness and faithfulness. Not only are the king's character, ability and power laid before us, but we also get a future glimpse of the peace of his reign. From verse 6. The wolf will lie with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Whilst this might sound a bit like a Disney movie, here the Lord is joining the dots between creation and new creation, between what is broken and what is longed for. Unparalleled peace. This is what the king will bring. With a new king, we get a new order, a new creation. Any new leader should have an effect on the domain in which they lead. And in an unprecedented way, we experienced this during COVID. Every state premier took a different approach, so life in every state in Australia was radically different. Different lockdowns, travel restrictions, border closures, testing requirements, meant that the power and rule of the state premiers flowed down and directly changed how we lived. Of course, there are plenty of debates and parodies about what state premiers got right and wrong. But the threat that Israel faced wasn't a pandemic, but powerful foreign nations. So we might expect that God's king would bring a promise of military dominance. But instead, the rule and reign of the Messiah brings peace unparalleled peace for everything in every place, radically affecting how people will live and engage in the world. The king's reign brings peace within creation. 
with the mention of wolves, lambs, lions, calves, bears, ox and snake, you might think that we have just onboarded into the Noah's Ark. But the peace between the predator and prey, between wolf and lamb, point us back even further to the Garden of Eden. The effect of the king's reign will be peace that hasn't been experienced since the world was created. Predators and prey live together, and rather than killing each other, they eat together. The peace is so pervasive and complete that children can play with snakes without fear of being harmed. Even a child can take the place God intended, leading and having dominion over animals and creation. The king's reign brings peace between creation and humanity. There is no longer any threat or danger between animals and humans. It'll be like going for a hike in New Zealand, where you aren't worried about checking for snakes in the grass, except that it won't just be one place or one country, but everywhere. The king's reign brings peace here, in creation, not in a distant land of clouds. And peace will extend over all new creation, transformed by the knowledge of the Lord. Picking up from verse 9. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The era of comprehensive peace is because of the Lord. The peace he brings can't be separated from knowledge of who he is. Knowledge of the Lord will fill and cover the earth. God is at work bringing his peace to places today through us as we are called to be his peacemakers and corporately in communities as we work for peace together. But this comprehensive, global peace can only be brought about by God. The joy and goodness of new creation can't be separated from the rule of the Messiah. Democracy, politics, charitable work might inch us towards God's redemptive plans, but the transformation of the world, the end to all hostilities, can only be ushered in by God's King. That's the peace that Jesus brings. Peace with God, peace with one another, and peace with creation. Clearly, this time hasn't come in full yet. We don't yet experience this comprehensive peace. And the last time I checked, Snakes and lions are still dangerous. But this is a picture of the future when the Messiah returns. And when he returns, he will gather people from every corner of the world. If you look with me from verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. His resting place will be glorious. 
In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Alam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the Mediterranean. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners of the earth. If wolves and lambs living together wasn't a big enough clue, the phrase, in that day, points us forward towards the future event of the king's coming. The root of Jesse will cause people to rally. He will be a symbol of victory, a banner to gather his people, not just for Israel, but for the nations. When the king is born, he is a light to the nations. And now when he returns, nations and people from every corner of the earth will seek him. For a second time, the Lord will rescue his people. The Lord rescued Israel in the Exodus, delivering them from slavery in Egypt. And now the Lord will rescue his people from every nation, not just from Egypt and not even just from Babylon. The list of nations here is like a compass pointing to the powerful nations in the north, south, east and west from every corner of the earth. The Lord will gather his scattered people. And Jesus is God's king who will gather his scattered people. Jesus told us of this time that when he returns, he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Jesus is the son of man. He is the Messiah the anointed one, God's king. When he returns again, he will gather every person who depends on him as Lord, whether they are in Antarctica or refugee camps, in the garden or in the school pickup line. When Jesus returns, all will seek him and be gathered to him. In verse 13 to 14, we get a picture of his victory where there will be no internal conflict or any external power that can threaten his coming. The Lord will remove every obstacle, every barrier that could prevent people from coming to his king. From verse 16, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people that is left from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from Egypt. Just as the Lord provided Israel every meal, guidance and protection that they needed in the wilderness, so it will be in the final days as the Messiah gathers his kingdom, gathering his people drawn from every nation, every tribe and every tongue. He will not forget a place and he will not forget a person. It'll be like the opening ceremony of the Olympics, where God has sorted out all the travel logistics and represented are not just athletes, but all people, young and old, those full of energy and those who are weary, seeking and worshipping God's King. But what about God's reign today? How does this future hope 
shape our lives on our front lines. We might be like the disciples who, when Jesus appeared to them after being raised from the dead, brought their concerns for his peace and rule to begin now. Recorded in the book of Acts, the disciples gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The rule and reign of God's King Jesus will draw people from every corner of the earth. But in the meantime, we are sent out to these places to be his witnesses until he returns. We are sent out to be Jesus' witnesses in our homes, in our relationships, to people who are different from us, and to people from nearby and distant countries. For we are not just proclaiming a nice addition to life, but we get to point towards the King who has come and will come again, who will bring justice, restore peace, and gather all his people. The character, reign, and kingdom of Jesus Christ is good news for the world. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're already part of his kingdom. Jesus reigns now, but we also await for when he returns forever. His current and coming reign is a certain hope that can sustain us today. And there remains an open invitation for anyone to join his kingdom. Anyone who comes and calls on Jesus as their king. Let's pray. Dear gracious Father, we thank you that you have sent us your king, King Jesus, who can bear our hopes for ultimate justice, who brings true and lasting peace, and who we can have confidence that has come and that he will come again. Thank you that King Jesus is unlike any other leader, one in whom it is safe to entrust all our hopes for both now and the future. Lord, as we await Jesus' return, please continue to shape our lives and priorities by the power of the Spirit. Please help us to see those around us who don't yet know you and give us courage to be witnesses to the goodness, peace and certain future we await in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.